When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Netflix. I'm Helen Daly and I'm here to guide you on what you're going to want to binge on Netflix immediately. It's slightly different this week because I've lost my fellow Helen in crime for today's episode, but she'll be back, don't worry. But today I'm joined by a very special guest indeed. It's friend of the show, Callum Crumlish. Hello. Hello, Hello. thanks for having me back. You are very welcome. And Callum's here this week to discuss the hottest new Netflix release you absolutely don't want to miss. That's right, they're superheroes, superpowers and a really super soundtrack. Yep, it's time to chat all things Umbrella Academy, a new teenage comic book series from the brain of someone you all know. My idol of my life, Gerard Way. You know, the one from My Chemical Romance? The absolute one. (laughs) So this week we're going to tell you absolutely everything you need to know about the Umbrella Academy with some exclusive chats with the cast. That's right. I caught up with Tom Hopper and Cameron Britton, who answered a lot of questions about the show for me. And I don't know about you, Helen, but I had a lot of questions. I definitely did. And I shall be bothering you with all of them throughout the episode, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Let's get to it then. When I was a young boy, my father took me to the city. To see a marching band? That's the one. I've been listening to My Chemical Romance all week to get hyped for this new Umbrella Academy show as it's Gerard Way's brainchild. And right, but first things first, there was a touch of the Black Parade about it from episode one. Which bit? So, the father link is so evident. Literally in episode one, the angsty teenagers go to the city. But they don't quite see a marching band, do they? (laughs) No, but they do end up fighting and being really cool though, which is also in the spirit of my chem, a la Danger Days. Absolutely. And this show sort of brings parts of the Danger Days aesthetic, the Michael McCormack's aesthetic. It's a lot of superheroes, crazy superpowers, strong, um, strong personalities coming together and just being really dramatic and cool. So what, what is the actual premise of the show? So in 1989, 43 children were born by 43 women who were not pregnant in any way. Uh, a eccentric billionaire scientist named Reginald Hargreaves purchases seven of these children and he finds out that they have superpowers so he makes the Umbrella Academy which is the combination of these siblings as it were Um, and this sort of follows their story of them now in their 30s and also flashes back into their childhood where they're fighting crime and it's sort of a weird character driven superhero story where they've been not treated the best way by their surrogate father um, and just a lot of end of the world goodness on top of that it's really interesting and really deep so we have obviously both seen um the series and it starts with the father dying yeah um why should i care that the dad's died well at the beginning you don't that's that's the really good thing about it it's this mind-blowing thing for the, uh, the characters and they come together their sort of horrible father's dead and they don't really care but they know they need to be there and then as the series progresses you find out secrets about the father and their family that makes you want to know every little detail about all of them and um you know why why do we even care about him when he's so awful we care about him because he's awful because he's awful you know you don't you don't often see terrible father figures in this sort of way he he treats them as products of his life he wants to 
build them up as these superpower superpowered people and put them out into the world and say look these people are going to save your life um and that's the only reason he likes them he doesn't like them because he loves them as children or anything like that that's what he wants them for and obviously this is a spoiler filled podcast so that's a big warning big clangor how does it end so this is what blew my mind a little bit super spoiler mark right here at the end of the comic book in the original Jared Way comic book, they stop the apocalypse. So number five comes to the present day and he says the world is going to end in eight days. And in the comic book, they stop that and it's fine. In this, they don't stop that. The world ends. It's straight up gone. The moon falls on the planet. It's done. <laughs> but at the last second, number five gathers up the Umbrella Academy and they time travel to a, a different time, we presume. And then that's the last scene of the show. So we have no idea where it's going. We're in entirely new territory now. We don't know what's going to happen and it's going to be cool. Okay, so we'll um, we'll get on to an absolute discussion about it later. Did you like it? I loved it. It was weird. It was really kooky. And all the characters had a lot of time to get to know. We had a lot of time to get to know each of the characters and why we ought to care about them. Um, in particular, Klaus, who's played by Robert Sheehan, um, has an enormous character arc, which is really harrowing in a lot of ways, uh, which is interesting because he's a lot of the comic relief in the first half of the series. Um it's, it was really, really good. And I'm, I was a fan anyway, and I was really worried about it um, not being good. But I, my worries are at rest now. It was, it was really good. I have to say, you know, superheroes really aren't my thing. And you'll discover this throughout the, the um, episode today. But I did find it strangely gripping. You know, the superhero stuff was few and far between for me. But the plot and the family-driven character stuff, I actually found really interesting. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Klaus as well because I thought he was such a great character like Robert Sheehan was just fabulous in this role and um, you know there were some really powerful scenes we'll discuss Vanya a little bit and it's you know it's kind of beautiful in a way there's songs in it that are just stunning we you know we have to discuss the soundtrack the soundtrack's unbelievable and obviously every song has been hand-picked and there's that amazing first scene which was in the trailer as well where um, I think we're alone now plays and the 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 shot pulls out and it's the whole house sort of this matchbox building and they're all dancing and it's just so good it's this amazing culmination of cinematography and incredible soundtrack and every song's amazing um and yeah i agree with you everything looks really good the costumes are great the effects are pretty good when they come into it um it's just a really good all-round show i think and as well you know i have to mention that scene um when the paloma faith songs play in you know, when number five discovers yeah. that the world's going to end and that song's playing and all of his family's dead. And I was like, like, this is so, it's past emotion. It's so beautiful. And um, I just thought from that moment, actually, that was the minute that I thought, right, yeah, I'm probably going to finish this because um, I wasn't sure. I'm not going to lie. But then I thought, yeah, this is good. And um, dancing in the moonlight. Oh, God, yeah. This, that's what I mean. Every song comes on and you're instantly like, well, this is a banger and it's perfectly fit for this scene. And I think as well, the soundtrack, you know, in a grander way, it adds to the appeal of it. This is something that I went on after episode one to see if there was already a Spotify playlist about it. Um, You know, and I'm watching this show and I just thought this is going to be a huge show. It's going to have a massive cult following given its comic book history. So do you know much about the original comics? Yeah, so I read the comics as they came out, when they came out in 2007. Um, And like I said, they, like I said, it it differs at the end uh, quite a bit. But other than that, it's pretty pretty close to the mark in the original source material um obviously they expand on the characters a bit and they give uh, little nods here and there to other things that have happened in future comics uh, but other than that it's a really good sort of adaptation page to page really 
And I was wondering as well, I don't know if you know this, but has Jared Way kind of based himself on any of the superheroes or based the superheroes on himself? I like to think as a Jared Way, um, what's the word? Connoisseur. That he um, has sort of put pieces of himself in each character. You know, Klaus is like the angry Michael He's Cromans the one. bit there's yeah. the Luther superhero guy there's Diego the cool guy who throws knives at people <laughs> like this that's just Jared Way all over I think yeah I was waiting for someone to pop up with like bright post bug, box red hair like. exactly and you, uh, absolutely that's Klaus I think you know yeah definitely um so who was your favorite character before watching the show Diego was always my favorite because he was the cool guy but after watching the show Klaus absolutely he was absolutely ridiculous and he like like we said he went through this weird, amazing character arc that saw him get really emotional. He had to go through like a drug addiction and get himself through it and try and save the world afterwards. And it was just so good. Yeah. And it was like actually really poignant at times. You know, he was hilarious. The first two episodes, he's really funny. And, you know, I was actually belly laughing at it. And then, you know, you get to the really harrowing drug abuse stuff and you're like, this is a well-rounded character. This is like not your normal superhero film really yeah for every witty one-liner that he has there's another scene where he's stealing from a family member to you know fix his drug addiction it's really well balanced and really good Hmm. and uh, we need to talk about Vanya is she good is she bad she's had a really bad rap don't you think yeah so through most of the series we don't think anything of her do we you don't really think that she has any powers until episode what seven eight and then you don't even realize she's going to be the end of the world until episode nine yeah and then uh yeah so she's had a really bad time she gets locked up as a child she gets locked up again as an adult and she brings about the apocalypse is it intentional i'm not sure has she gone crazy with power is it something to do with her powers we don't really know at this point um i think she's good i think she's just a product of what's happened to her i think as well you know I was like rooting for her to discover a hidden power because I felt that was kind of obvious that it was going to come. And then when she got it, I was like, oh, great, she's got a power. And then, she, you know, she started being quite bad with it. But mm-hmm. I didn't feel it was intentional. And I wonder, you know, if this show does go on to season two, will she be a bad character or not? Or can she be redeemed? It is interesting because in the second comic book, she really has to do a lot of work to redeem herself. Um, again, she in the comic book, she doesn't end the world, and in this one, she did. So um, how is she going to redeem herself? Will they? Will the Umbrella Academy allow her to redeem herself? What's going to be the protocol after that? She can overpower them, so she needs to actually make the decision, I'm going to be good now. Because if she doesn't, they can't stop her. And one person I have to discuss as well is Alison. I did not like her. I found her really smug. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but yeah, I was wondering what you as a fan think about Alison I think it was spot on to be honest and um is she that smug in the comics absolutely and Emmy Raver Lampman who plays her I think I think did it excellent because she left the not Emmy but the character left the Umbrella Academy and became a movie star and she's got like you said she's got this kind of pompous attitude about her she's like over this superhero thing she's a superstar now she doesn't care about you know saving the world and yeah she turned up to this funeral thinking I'm better than everyone I don't need to worry about the family problems anymore and yeah, I think you're right. She's a not a nice person. Um, but I like the arc we get with her. She starts unravelling a bit. You see why she's not the nicest. You see why her the father of her child has taken her child away from her a bit. Um, yeah, I, I think it was spot on, but you're right. She's not nice at all. And to be fair, the only reason I was sad that she died was because I was sad for Vanya because <laughs> I didn't want her to kill mm-hmm. someone kind of thing. But, you know, I, it was a little bit... 
little bit annoyed when she came back to life. Um, yeah, that's a controversial thing in the comic as well. Uh, how can she survive that? And they sort of say, you know, oh, by, by a miracle, just your vocal cords have been cut. But that maybe it's good for her. She can't use her power anymore. She can't will in the, you know, essence of anything she wants anymore. So maybe... So she's become Vanya, really. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe this role change will help her become a better person. And, um, you know, you recently caught up with Tom Hopper, who plays Luther, and Cameron Britton, who plays Hazel. <laughs> and here's what they had to say about their characters. How did you feel about taking on Luther? Like, what drew you to him? I think a few things, really. First of all, the way he looked. Um, one of my first questions was, are we going to, you know, take in a bit of the graphic novel into the sky? And the answer was yes, so that intrigued me. Thank you. Um, and secondly, I wanted to know more about him as a person because what I saw in the graphic novel was a sort of a sensitivity and a, and a slight vulnerability in this huge guy. And that's and and, and the, he's quite romantic as well, you know. The history between him and Alison, and he has this this sort of taboo love for his sister, and well, his adopted sister, you know. So I think there was something about him that was so much more interesting than the superhero characters that I come across or you know had been offered to play before. That I was like, this is what I want to do. This is a, a completely different spin on a superhero. And also the family element, you know, and him as a brother. And I associate with him as a brother because I'm one of three, one of four siblings. And he's just so much deeper than the big, aggressive, hulking guy that you see in, you know, other superhero shows and, and movies. Yeah, and um, like I said, you've got this relationship with Alison that's this mm. taboo thing, but also, he, and he sort of wants to live as well, right? And he wants to be this hero. Yeah. But he's got this great loyalty to his dad, even yeah. though his dad's never been nice to him. Yeah. Um, what, is that something that's sort of interesting as well to you? Totally, yeah. I mean, he's got serious dad issues, and I think that's the deeper thing, you know, that he, this thing where he had this accident, right, and his body changed. I think Luther was effectively the stereotypical superhero, you know, of the of the group. He was the tall, strapping, you know, fit guy looking superhero. And then this thing happened to him. And to learn later on in the show that his dad sent him to the moon just to give him purpose, to just go, we need to just give him something. And Luther put everything into it. You know, it was his life. His dad tells him to do something and he just does it. And he... He massively, in a weird way, respected his dad, but also just wanted his approval. And he was doing it, all this stuff, because he wanted his dad's approval, because he, he's always been bred to be number one, and he just felt like he had to live up to that responsibility. Um, so, you touched upon it. How was the... So, was it a bodysuit you were wearing or something? Yeah. How was that? Because so that looked the, uncomfortable at times. Yeah, well, it was, it was great, actually, because there was two bodysuits. There was the one that I wore underneath the clothes, which was an easier suit to get on and off. It didn't have all the detail and stuff on that the, the prosthetic one did. And then I had the prosthetic one, which was much more, it was tighter, it was like the ventilation and stuff was much less. So any scene where you see, like one of the toughest scenes I do was the rave scene, where I had like zero ventilation, you know, and I was dancing around, sweating buckets in this very hot room full of people. So that was very challenging, you know, because, but, that was actually probably more comfortable to wear day to day because it was fitted very specifically to my body than the one that I was wearing um, just as a, you know, the suit underneath the clothes because that one got even hotter. So it was, but what was great about it is it made me feel really quite cumbersome and, and awkward, like 
Luther should feel. He should feel like he's in a body that isn't his own. Mm. And he feels uncomfortable talking about it. You see him try to cover it up. And I wanted to make him, I just sort of play a very fine line really because there's a danger with Luther that he can become too reserved, you know, that he can become overly stoic. But actually what I was aiming to do was to make him just very awkward and not, but trying to still be a leader. So he plays this this tricky game of trying to be number one and be the leader, but also has this awkwardness to him and this sensitivity that's always underneath it. That like, oh, do people know about my body? I'm just trying to hide it by being quieter and smaller. And like, he's quite a small man inside, you know. I think one of the turning points for Luther, and it was an amazing scene by you, is when they come into Alison and she's got her throat cut. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, that sort of showed for me, I think, the absolute passion he has for her. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it expressed it a bit here and there beforehand, but when he was, she was like there, you know, presumably dead. Yeah. That was like a big thing for him. Was that sort of a difficult scene to do, or was that a lot to bring out for that? It well, yeah. I mean, the, the, what was important in that is that we. It was tricky because. There was we were directed for that scene to make sure that we had to believe that Alison was dead at the end of that episode. Um, you know, there was an argument there to say why are we not just grabbing her and taking her out? And there's two things we needed to see that the love that like the absolute grief that, that Luther is feeling that he's going to lose Alison, and also that that cliffhanger moment of oh my god she's dead. And for, for, so I just played the absolute truth. I just went okay, let's let's play this that she's. Um, let's play the truth that I think she's, she's dead, she's gone. And uh, for, for Luther, he, he confesses it in episode 10, you know, that he's just got this absolute unrelenting love for Alison, and he always has had. You know, it's, it's very tough for him. Uh, and it, yeah, it comes out in that scene, and he comes out in multiple scenes throughout the yeah. show, you see it. You know. the, maybe the worst part of the series for me was when um, the episode rolls back. Yeah, and, and you go, it didn't oh, happen. Oh, and like Luther and Alison just agreed, okay, let's get on the plane, let's go yeah. see Claire. And I was yeah. like, no, they were going to be happy. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I figured that Alison wasn't dead because of the comic book, she lives, right? Yeah. Um, did you have any other queries or sort of qualms with the show after? Did you read the book, sorry? Yeah, of course. Great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, did you sort of see things coming in a different way after reading the book and then reading the script? Um, yeah, I mean, the question I always had was, you know, will Luther, I said, you know, I mean, uh, Emmy were both curious like are we going to get together at the end of the first season are we going to kiss or like, what's the deal with that because there's that whole scene in the comic book of I heard a rumour you kiss me mm. and we were like oh I wonder if that's when she first uses her power that she does it like that and Steve wanted to to do it in his own way you know and ha- how he saw the story and also because he didn't want to give the audience everything and I thought it was brilliant the way he did it because it gave the audience that moment but then went but not yet you can't have it. Yeah. You can't fully have it. And uh, that for us as, as actors was great because we got to give the audience that kind of, that final moment of those two being happy, like you say, mm-hmm. and then taking it away. But it's interesting to see what the comics are going to do now as well, if the comics will bring that back in because they've all kind of disbanded in the comics as well a little bit. Um, I yet I haven't read uh, Hotel Oblivion yet, the new one. I don't know if you've read no, that no, one. Not yet. Um, but I'd be interested to see what happens to them in that one as well. Um, so... Like I said, it ends on a cliffhanger. I, I've literally no idea what's going to happen at this point. So you'll jump through time right at the end as the Earth is ending. Um, yeah. Where do you? Where would you like Luther to go next? What do you want him to focus on? Tricky on that because he's. I mean, they could go anywhere. There's, there's so many. Like that's the. I think the biggest thing is 
where are they going to be? That's the biggest question. Where do they end up? Are they all together? Are they not together? Are they, you know, is it going to, if season two picks up, is it going to be straight after the season one finale? Will it just pick it up where it left off? We don't know those questions yet. So what would I like for him? I'd, I'd like, I'd like to see him go on a, a personal journey because Luther's never really been, he's never done anything that hasn't been the academy in some way. You know, he's either been on the moon doing a mission for his dad and, you know, he's, as far as he's concerned, he's still like working for his dad. He's still the only one in the academy, officially. And then back, he had to slip back into normal life, but then all of a sudden the world's going to end. So he's like, I've got to get everyone back together to save the world. So I'd like to see Luther just get on in the real world, see what he has to actually, what he has to do to survive in this world as just as just Luther in this world, not Luther as part of the Umbrella Academy. I mean, I don't know where it's going to go. That's that's a big question. You know, I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, because he has that moment where he, he sort of reveals, or kind of not really, that he's never had sex before or anything. Oh, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. He goes to a race for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that'd be cool. Um, so would you like him to focus on... You know, would you prefer him to focus on his family relationship first or with Alison first, do you think? I, I think it comes hand in hand, yeah. yeah, because as long as he's around the family, him and him and Alison will always have that connection, you know, and they'll always have those moments that, that are alone and... It's, they're like magnets, Alison and Luther. No matter what happens, they seem to somehow kind of go ding and back together. Because there's so much history and there's so much depth between them. So... But I think the family needs a lot of work. So I think if Luther was being selfish for his you know, own wants, I think he'd probably want to sort things out with Alison, but at the same time, I think he knows the, the good of the family is to all to be together and work together. Another really good dark moment for Luther, I think, is when uh, Vanya comes back and she's not sure whether Alison is dead, and he's like, come here, and he hugs her, and oh, yeah, he yeah. sort of chokes her out of it, yeah. and puts her in the cage. Um, do you think that was a good choice for Luther? Like, do you, would you, do you back him on that? I think there's a bit of his, that's the, another one of those leadership things with Luther, you know, and it's also the thing about being a leader, you make decisions and not everyone is always going to agree with them and you can easily question Luther's decision in that moment that it's like, is he doing the right thing? I mean, that's still his sister. Why? Like Klaus is like, saying, let's just talk to her. Let's just talk to her. And he's, he's taking Pogo's advice, he's taking the advice of what he's dad did with her and that's the thing there's the moments that you see that influence of his dad of you know he's like no this is what I think his dad said so dad was doing this and dad was doing that and you go well actually your dad may not have been right for doing that stuff in the first place but you're kind of doing the same thing so he's 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 torn I think really between what is right morally right and then what he thinks he should be doing for the, the good of the academy and what he thinks like his dad would have done in that moment Hayes is a bit of a weird character, yeah. and they've made him even more weird yeah. uh, this season. Uh, how, uh, how was it approaching him as a character? Well, it was scary at first because I only had the first three episodes. I didn't know that he dances or, or uh, dates Agnes or any of that. Mm-hmm. So it was scary to jump into a project and know that we were figuring it out as it went along. But what drew me to Hazel was that he's a very unique villain. Uh, I find most villains to be the same system where they're, to make them more intimidating, villains are often uh, very comfortable 
in themselves. They know who they are and what they want. Uh, and, and Hazel's sort of a lost villain. He's not quite sure who he is. Uh, I don't even think he quite knows he's a villain until partway through the show. Yeah. Uh, that was my first draw to him. And he sort of has this coin toss in the middle, doesn't he? And he, uh, eventually he realizes, like, I don't really want to do this anymore. I would rather be with Agnes. Yeah. Um, how was moving from, like you said, villain mode to sort of the hopeless, loved-up puppy that he eventually becomes? It was fun. It was fun to do that arc and transition to watch him start to get more comfortable in his, his wants and needs and to, to really, you know, see Cha-Cha for what she is or what it is. Chacha is a bit of a, a soulless creature. Uh, it was uh, it was cool to put the character in the hands of another character to let you know Agnes come along and 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 show him what the world can really be like, what it what it what it means to be alive, what what makes it worth it, you know. But then through that, he ends up having to. I, I don't want to say betray, but he ends up having to betray Cha-Cha. Yeah. Um, do you think that was sort of the right decision for him throughout the series? Or do you think he could have approached that a bit in a different way? Well, I do think he could approach it in a different way. I do think it's best for him as well, though. Um, he doesn't really know how to, to, to share his feelings, especially not with Cha-Cha. Uh, but... You know, I recommend anybody who's who's hanging out with folks like that to, to find new company. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, how was it working with Mary J. Blige? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah? yeah. I've never, maybe I've just been ignorant, but I've never seen her act before, but she was, like, really good. Yeah. Um, did oh, you and her blend well in, in yeah, scenes? Yeah, yeah. I was nervous at first because, you know, not only is she someone I grew up with, but... I knew that most of our scenes are together and that we had five months of shooting to do. So, you know, you don't know what your scene partner's going to be like until you get to set. Yeah. Uh, and thankfully, we bonded on sense of humor from day one. We, we, we just share a lot of the same comedy. So we're, you know, before action, we were just joking and then... Our character dynamic is very different on, on screen, so usually Mary would have to get a little more serious before. You know, I didn't want to distract her with more jokes. Uh, but, yeah, we, we've ended up becoming pretty close friends. That's great. Um, like you said, the scenes, you were joking beforehand, but the scenes aren't exactly the most serious things sometimes. Did you guys have some good times on uh, ch filming Hazel and Cha-Cha? We sure did. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of fun. Uh, you... You know, between takes, there can be a long setup, so you find ways to entertain yourself. But uh, there was a freedom, you know, from the directors and writers. We were able to improv if we needed to, or, you know, change our blocking to a way that fit us better and stuff. That It just allowed it to be a blast. And, you know, when you remember what we're making, that it's, it, there's some thought in it, but this is to have a good time. Uh, that just keeps some of the stress away, mm -hmm. you know. Um, there were a couple of good scenes where, like, things went. What was the? You guys had just gotten high, I think, 
or you'd just gotten drunk and then you went to the building that made the eye and you started burning it all and there was this amazing slow motion scene of you running around with a gas can or something. <laughs> um, what kind of stuff did you get to do behind, behind that sort of scene or those kind of scenes? Well, that's a good example. Basically, the director just turned the camera on. She said, you right. can do whatever you want. We're not, don't worry about continuity. You can pick up any of the props, throw them in the air, have a blast. I'd actually like to see what was left on the cutting room yeah. floor of Mary and I dancing. Just three hours. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it'd be quite a bit. By the end of it, I was starting to think, okay, one more, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I have any more dancing in me. I'm getting pretty exhausted here. And thankfully, that's when they stopped. Yeah. Was it weird sort of filming uh, going after number five? Because obviously he's this kid, but he's not. Yeah. But like, you're running after this child with a, with a giant <laughs> gun. How is it, you know... Doing that. Well, as funny as it is, uh, that's a good question. Uh, because of the child working laws, uh, oh. he wasn't even allowed in the building if a if a gun was going off. Oh wow! So we were actually shooting at his body double, which which definitely made it easier. Uh, but it is fun. I mean, Aiden plays it so well. He does that grown up so well that you know any scenes that you have dialogue with him, you often forget that you're performing with a kid he made it really easy you know and you can't your performance can't come across that way you can't come across like you're speaking to a kid um so you've got like a lot of kind of dark scenes as well you've got the scenes uh where you're torturing uh both klaus and then the um the tow truck guy mm. um what kind of behind the scenes stuff did you have to do to make that look <laughs> real or you know uh you know i'd like I think I'd like, if I could do anything again, I'd smack Klaus harder. <laughs> Robert kept saying, go ahead and give me all you've got. And I think I, think I should have really done that. Yeah. I think I should have given him a big smack. Uh, Robert's fun like that. He's, he's, he's willing to go pretty dark with stuff. That's cool. Um, so why do you think Hazel was drawn to Agnes? I mean, I, I was, I'm questioning it now because I have to, but like at the time I was just like, this is perfect. Like I don't want it to, don't want it to change. But why do you, what do you think drew Hazel to her? Well, I think the simplicity. I think the idea of, of just what they were doing, sitting and watching nature uh, and enjoying the taste of a, of a little meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that her, I think her finding that to be what life is about, enjoying the little things, was just something that, that had never occurred to him. I think he's such a meathead that he doesn't even know he's depressed. So when someone comes along who, I mean, treats him kindly, when was the last time Hazel was treated kindly? Uh, and you see that, it would you know, you see that in the in in the work we did. He's he's very uncomfortable during some of their scenes, learning how to emote. But you know, in the short scenes they have, she says yes to everything he does. She she says that's okay. You go ahead and be you. Uh, so the encouragement to be himself, to be happy, encouragement alone. You know, when you've had none, when you're starving for it. Uh, and feel like a well. Um, so that brings me to the end of the season. They thankfully sort of zip out just as the apocalypse is happening, right? Um, so 
where would you like Hazel and Agnes to be next season? I'd like them to be somewhere in the middle of the country where away from cities, mm-hmm. uh, away from the competitiveness of human nature. Mm-hmm. I'd like them to be in a sunny cottage somewhere. That's nice. Yeah. I, sadly, that's probably not going to happen. Chacha's probably going to turn up. I like yeah. we, we saw her get vaporized, but I just don't believe that she's done. Yeah. Um, so do you think that next season perhaps Hazel will end up? You know, do you think maybe perhaps his next season will be him putting all of it, all of his efforts into protecting Agnes, much like he did in the final two episodes, two or three episodes? Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, I think Hazel's at the point where he is going to do what needs to be done. You know, so whatever circumstances befall him and Agnes, uh, you know, he he's just not the complaining type. He'll he'll do his best to take care of him and handle him. But yeah, now that he has something to fight for, something to protect, uh, it's definitely going to change a lot of his decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned uh, Hazel. You know, he starts losing ambition with the job. He doesn't like it at all. Have you ever had a similar situation in life where you're like, God, I hate this job. Just get me out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Did that help yeah. as well? Oh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't really feel like I needed to to pull off that. I suppose I did, uh, but I hadn't. I didn't really think about it consciously. Cool. Yeah. Um. So, did you read the comics as well? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, how did you sort of think the character was going? Your character Hazel was going to be versus how did you react when you realized? Oh, I've got like a really deep character with a really cool story. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have, I don't think I'd take the project if he had just been this bubblegummy maniac. Yeah. Uh, but when I did the audition, I asked them, you know, I read the comic and thought, how are they going to put this on camera? It just won't work. Mm-hmm. So I asked them in the audition and they said they didn't know. They had, they were being very open to what he could be. Uh, so I was able to bring a lot of myself to it. Some of, some of the parts of me that, that I want to work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, mopiness, you know, just sort of being an Eeyore at mm-hmm. times, uh, uh, which was nice. I got to put myself into it. That's cool. I think you did really well, for the record. And I'm not just saying that because I'm here, but honestly, I think you were excellent. That was really interesting, actually, to hear from Tom and Cameron. And um, what did you find most interesting when you were talking to them? With Tom, it was very Tom who plays Luther. Number one, it was really interesting talking to him because he always sees Luther as this sort of enormous, awkward, bumbling buffoon sort of character, whereas I sort of saw him as more of a trying to be a leader. Um, So that was quite interesting to hear his take on the character uh, and how he played him. Hazel was really interesting. uh, Cameron Britton, who played Hazel, he's obviously this um, assassin who's been set out to kill number five. And as we saw, he's got this really delicate arc with a woman named Agnes and he falls in love and he wants to run away with her and uh, Cameron said that basically he took the role because of this really nice arc with Hazel um, because in the comic books Hazel is literally a assassin through and through that's it all he does is kill people um, so it was really interesting to talk to them about how they built up their characters themselves along with the source material on top of that. So as a fan, were you quite happy to see Hazel have this, you know, beautiful story? Yeah, it was a very strange addition, I think. At first, I was a bit sort of, what's going on here? But 
it absolutely worked with everything. It was the delicate side of the story that needed to be told on top of the Umbrella Academy's sort of gritty, horrible side of the story, you know? Um, yeah, I think it was needed and I think it worked really well. I think as well, you know, I've come from a purely non-superhero side to this. I think, you know, it was quite interesting because it really filled the world out. Like, this was a proper, complete universe and... I think sometimes my problem with like superhero things is that I just can't get on board with the worlds that they're in because they're just all a bit bitty and the characters are all just very one dimensional. And I think what's really good with the Umbrella Academy is that you do get these messed up characters, you get the good and bad debates. And I think as well, Hazel, you know, he's one of those people who I actually really liked at the end and I loved his relationship with the cafe order. I thought it was really sweet. And, um, also, he was with Mary J. Blige. I can't believe we've got this far and not mentioned the fact that Mary J. Blige is in this. She can act. Like, she can act. She can act. She's also on the soundtrack, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know who made that casting choice, but well done. Yeah, she's really great in it and terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And she's not redeemable at all. She's no. bad. But I think she's doing her job, you know? She, is, she was hired for that job and that's what she's going to do, come what may. And Hazel has annoyed her because... He's saying, no, I want to go and, you know, fall in love and be happy and stuff. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. So I'm going to continue killing everyone. Um, yeah, really interesting. Can't believe that she's in it as much as she was. When I saw the casting, I didn't think she was going to be in it a lot. But she's in every yeah. episode a lot. And brutal yeah. as well in it. Really good fight scenes between the two of them as well. Yeah. I think. Um, good slow-mo stuff. And, you know, they work amazingly with Aidan Gallagher, who plays number five. Oh, my God. The trio are just wonderful. And he is a brilliant actor. What a talent. Aidan? Yeah. He's unbelievable. He's, you know, he can't be any more than 15 years old, maybe. Maybe younger. And he's absolutely mind-blowing he really puts on this haggard old character and runs <laughs> yeah with it. it's like the opposite of doctor who where they've got to have like old eyes and stuff and he's just got these young eyes that's a really good correlation yeah it's all timey-wimey yeah, isn't it? timey-wimey. <laughs> um so most importantly do you think there will be another series and should there be i think they've definitely set up for one i think with the amount of buzz this is building up to release uh, i think they're potential for it to have a second season is very big um i think there should be because i need i need more <laughs> now um yeah i think it is has a very good chance of having a second season and is there a comic book source for a second season or will they be going rogue it's already rogue so in like i said the comic books have thwarted the apocalypse and that's done and so now we're on uncharted territory but that doesn't mean to say um there's not going to be other parts of the comic books brought into it so you never know i think it'd be really interesting actually if they go back into the past because these are all super modern kids these are you know very much 21st century kids and i think if they go back way into the the past you know maybe that would be quite an interesting dynamic for season two where this like big spacey battles taking place that'd be good i don't know what what would you like to see in season two i don't know it's weirdly enough like the superpower stuff comes in second for me i want to see more of the characters doing stuff i want to i want to see klaus redeem himself and find his boyfriend again and i want to see luther and allison get together and i want to see number five maybe get back with dolores i don't know um I don't know. I want to see more character stuff. I wouldn't mind if Alison actually dies this time. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) 
So here on Netflix, as I'm sure you regular listeners know by now, we like to give you advice on what you should binge next. This week, we're going to switch things up a little bit and play a little game following on from the roaring success of Night Flyers or Night Dyers. So, Callum, I'm going to give you three superhero titles from Netflix and I need you to tell me whether you would want to watch them or not. Sound good? Sure. Uh, so, in homage to the wonderful and fabulous My Chemical Romance uh, frontrunner who created the Umbrella Academy, this game is called Gerard Way or Gerard No Way. You're two for two on titles. <laughs> There's a running theme with them yeah. as well. Um, you can also um, you could also say you would Gerard Wayby watch the show um but that is up to you (laughs) thank you so this game is also perfect for me because i have very limited superhero knowledge apparently iron man's a good one let's just wrap this up now okay (laughs) so let's get cracking um and we'll start with dc's titans much like the umbrella academy this is very much a teenage drama here we meet a young robin aka dick grayson and his bachelor pals who have to deal with a plot that threatens the entire planet what's the verdict Gerard Wayby on this one. Okay. It's really strange. It's the first DC um, DC licensed TV show based on the characters, um, live action. And yeah, like you said, Dick Grayson, Young Robin, he's really incredible. But the story's a bit strange. It's all about them trying to figure out who Raven's real mother is. And a lot of good action, a lot of great action, a lot of great effects. Strange story, worth a watch for DC fans, absolutely. So how about for your regular not-superhero-loving viewers? They, you, for example, yes, may struggle <laughs> to get through it because it's a bit deep. It's a lot of DC backlore, you know? Okay, cool. And um, we'll move on to Black Lightning. Again, this is based on a DC series of the same name and sees a high school principal come out of superhero retirement in order to fight the 100. But should he have returned to vigilantilism? He absolutely should. This is a Gerard way because it's... <laughs> Go it, with it. <laughs> I'm going with it. It's really good. It's a really nice modern superhero movie, uh, TV show. It takes on some heart-hitting topics of like now, politics from now. Um, a lot of, you know, should kids be doing drugs? Should they be doing this? Should they be doing that? A lot of big things. And because he's a high school teacher, high school principal he has this sort of double-sided coin thing where he's fighting crime trying to be the stand-up guy but also trying to be an example for the children really good and interesting there's not a lot of shows out like that at the moment really really interesting and good i think it sounds interesting as well because he is a bit older right um yeah so in this he was a superior in his 20s and then he went into retirement became a principal and now he's back out of retirement as a superior as a 40 something man and he's got like a whole different take on all of the enemies that he takes on and it's really really interesting and is it because of that is it a little bit more kind of intelligence wins the battle as opposed to action and fighting absolutely there's some cool effects and hence the name he can shoot lightning um but he comes up comes up against some bad guys who are you know in their 20s and he's kind of like come on guys you're only young just stop let's just go home you know he does a lot of that so it's, it's really good really good Okay, might do that. And um, finally, we'll end on Marvel's Daredevil with Matt Murdock as a blind hero who uses his incredibly heightened senses to fight crime in Hell's Kitchen, not the Gordon Ramsay one. It's a brutal and pretty grim series which eventually crosses over with John Bernthal's The Punisher. But what did you make of it, Callum? For me, this is the tip-top of superhero TV show stuff. This is Marvel's first uh, venture into the superhero TV show genre with Netflix, which happened a few years back. Um, Really amazing cinematography, really good costumes, really good 
uh, choreography, great writing, just all round good. You need to see at least season one before yeah, you Yeah, I've seen a trailer for it and it's pretty dark, it's pretty moody and it looks kind of less, you know, when I think of Marvel, I think of the big bright colours and whatnot and it doesn't look like that, am I right? Yeah, this is more gritty, uh, boots on the ground, like fighting thugs rather than, you know, fighting aliens from outer space kind of thing. Really, really good. I think I might give that one a try as well then. Do it. So that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please like, subscribe and tell your friends. Come and get involved with the debate on Twitter. That's at Netflix pod, where we'll be teasing details of our next episode. And make sure you vote in our poll. Last week, we asked which part of the Ted Bundy tapes you found creepy. And 67% of you thought just hearing Ted's voice was scary enough. I have to agree. So this week, come and join us on Twitter. That's at Netflix pod, if you didn't hear the first time. And tell us who your favourite member of the Umbrella Academy is. Strong opinions all around here. I know who I'm voting for. And of course, don't forget to head over to express.co.uk for all of your TV news and exclusive interviews. Next week, we're going to delve into the world of Stranger Things for a first look at season three. That's right. And to get us hyped, we'll have an exclusive chat with the author of Suspicious Minds, a novel which reveals everything you need to know about Eleven and her harrowing backstory. I for one can't wait to hear what she's got to say. You do not want to miss this. Me neither. So tune in next week to find out everything. See you later. Bye.